What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, study, do some research, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you and your walk toward eternity. I acknowledge that our lives are just really messy at times, and it's not always going to be that easy, fill-in-the-blank, go-to answer to life's current problems. And so the purpose of this show is for me to accompany you. The reality is this, though. I am imperfect, and I'm not always going to give you the best answers. If that is the case, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever I say if it does not help you to grow in virtue. However, if my advice is helpful, though difficult, I want to encourage you to lean in so that we can allow Jesus over time to give us the grace to fulfill the demands of discipleship. Uh, here's how the show goes. You hit me up with questions by emailing me at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If it's your first time ever listening, I really want to encourage you to rate us and to review us on iTunes and on other podcast social media outlets because that helps other people find out about the show. And if the show is a gift to you, then potentially it could become a gift for other people as well. On today's show, we have a number of really beautiful topics. We're going to talk about Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and her virginity. We're also going to talk about adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, what to do during that time, uh, children who question their faith in their teenage years, and the possibilities of holiness for all the single moms, all the single mamas, M A. M-A-S, this goes out to all the single mamas, this goes out to all the single mamas. All right, but before we get into those topics, let's talk about a glory story. My glory story this week is um, it's something that's just been coming up in prayer as of like the past few days. I'm just going to share it with you. Uh, a memory came up of whenever I was um, still in formation years ago, and uh, there, there was potentially a class that I did not really care for the professor or professors and this particular class many years ago. And so I just didn't trust them. I didn't trust the words that, that were that were shared in this class. And and uh, and I decided in class, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to receive what I perceived to be garbage. And so I just started praying my rosary during class and I would pray my divine mercy chaplet and I would imagine the Blessed Sacrament in front of me and do these like imaginative holy hours. <laughs> it was terrible. And so one day I was talking to my spiritual director who's who's now passed away, Monsignor Fitz. And I said, Monsignor Fitz, yeah, man, you know, we got these teachers that are kind of crazy. And um, I'm not listening to them in class. Instead, I'm praying. You'd be so proud of me. Like, I'm not listening to their stuff they're saying. I'm just praying. And my senior got very quiet. And then he spoke and he said, he said, how prideful have you become, Josh? How prideful have you become to, to, to not listen to the body of Christ, to not listen to other members of the body of Christ? He said, Josh, you have shared with me in this current season of your life that your prayer is really, really dry, that you go to adoration every morning, you sit there for an hour and you don't feel a thing, you don't hear a thing. And then after that, you leave. And he said, did you ever think that maybe God wants you to sit in the adoration chapel so that he, he can look at you? And he can just spend that quality time with you. And then he wants to talk to you later on in the day. And potentially he wants to talk to you in that class with those professors who you disagree with. He said, how prideful have you become? You are following Satan right now. 
He says, you need to be more humble and you need to listen to your professors. And he said, because potentially Jesus Christ might be trying to communicate to you through them as messy as they are. He might be trying to communicate to you through them. And so what I want you to do is I want you to listen during class. Take notes to what they say. And then after class, go to your room and do Lexio Divina with their words and pray with their words. Pray with whatever it is they say. And whatever it is that they say that's not of the church, reject it. But listen and try to see what they say that is of God. And then ponder that. Chew on that. And so I began to do that after I was like totally humbled by my spiritual director. I began to really ponder their words and like listen. And I was able to like decipher like, all right, this right here is clearly not good. But then there was so much that was good that for that entire semester, I had not been receiving because I threw the baby out with the bathwater. And so I really began to hear God speak to me through them, through these, these two people who I didn't particularly care for. The reason why I'm saying this is because just in prayer has been coming up a lot lately just to continue to like listen and to ponder what other people are saying and to be able to receive gifts from other people. That doesn't mean we have to like act on what other people say immediately, but to to give them the gift of receiving their words and trusting that the Holy Spirit might be communicating through them, even whenever they're difficult to be around, um, just to really listen, to listen well. So that's my glory story for today. And uh, before we get into today's topics, I want to share with you some follow-up feedback that we have from previous episodes. Uh, The first follow-up comes from a person by the name of Older and Wiser. Older and Wiser. I like that. Uh, Hey, Father Josh, I've been listening to your podcast every week from week one. And I want to commend you on tackling these hard real-life situations with the truth of the gospel, and not sugarcoating the narrow pathway that we are called to walk in order to find our way to an eternity in heaven. I wanted to offer some feedback for last week's anonymous engaged couple who asked about spending the night together. I am newly divorced after 20 plus years of marriage, and back in the day we didn't realize the gravity of expressing our love for one another when we were committed in a monogamous relationship on our way to getting married. In fact, the world led us to believe that this was the highest expression of love and widely accepted as the norm. I tell you, if I only knew then what I know now. I imagine Father suggesting that you take a break from one another and pray about this may not be what you wanted to hear and may be very difficult to do. But I want to back him by emphasizing the reality that leading your significant other to an act of sin is not the highest form of love or respect for them. I wish I had this understanding back when I was engaged. I strongly encourage you to not blow off this advice, but to truly pray with this and ask God, who is love, to reveal to you in your time apart what true love is and what proper manifestation of true love looks like. The way of the world is not God's way. His ways are higher. His ways are always for our greatest good, even if we cannot perceive it. Feeding our flesh can become an addiction. And if our spirit does not have the ability to control our flesh's desires, then the enemy can easily use that weakness against us. This stands true for whatever our desire may be, be it physical intimacy, food, money, or power, etc. If our spirit cannot control our flesh, then the results of feeding our every whim become detrimental to us. Our culture has become one of instant gratification. 
And it has become ingrained in us that our personal gratification is what life is all about. You know, YOLO, you only live once. This concept is deceptive and not true of many things in this life. And quite frankly, is an all out lie when it comes to physical abstinence outside of marriage. Exactly what Father proposed as a supposition last week happened in my life. Over the years in my marriage, illness struck. And as a result, there were times in our marriage where we had to medically abstain from the marital embrace. Abstinence wasn't reverenced before we were married. And therefore, when when put to the test, my spouse could not and did not reverence abstinence when called to do so within our marriage. The enemy used this against us. And as a result, infidelity destroyed our marriage and our family. I really thank you for reaching out to ask Father Josh because it brought this very common issue to the light and has allowed Father to speak the truth into this deceptive way of the world that is slowly destroying our families and society. Apart from God, we can truly do nothing. So I would like to encourage all the women and girls out there to pray for the grace to recognize your true identity and value as beloved daughters of the Father and understand that you are worth the weight. I would like to encourage all the men and boys out there to pray for the grace to understand and embrace true masculinity and the great power of chastity into marriage and to pray for the ability to master the desires of the flesh. True love consists of dying to oneself for the sake of the other, not serving oneself to the detriment of the other. I'd like to practically propose that you or anyone struggling with this situation try three things. First, spend more time praying with the Lord for clarity and understanding, possibly before the Blessed Sacrament in an adoration chapel. Second, join a small group Bible study and allow the Lord to reveal the scriptures to your heart in a new way. And third, allow the first and second actions to lead you to the gift of the Sacrament of Reconciliation and Communion, which will provide the true intimacy our hearts and souls desire for, that is, intimacy with Christ. I'll be praying, offering my adoration time for you to develop a deeper understanding of love and a deep understanding of the purpose of the marital embrace and for your success and abstinence. And if it be God's will for a beautiful marriage and lifetime of authentic love for you and your spouse in the sincere spirit of authentic love, older and wiser. Thank you so much, older and wiser. That was like a you could write a book. You should write a book. That was that was pretty profound. And our final follow up feedback comes from Matthew. Matthew says, good morning, former parochial vicar, LSU campus minister, Father Josh. Yeah, so back then, before I was a pastor, I used to be a campus minister at LSU. And Matthew says this, I just took a peek at the snippet of the show from September 17th when you addressed loneliness, and I was blown away. You see, our director of vocations for the Diocese of Dallas invited all youth ministers and volunteers at U2000 Retreat in Dallas to take 15 minutes of our day for intentional quiet prayer without multitasking. Not even the rosary in the car on the way to work counts toward this. The point being to develop a relationship with Jesus. Because how can we ask you to have a relationship with him if we don't have one ourselves? So I took him up and immediately started praying that 15 minutes. It dawned on me that what would be most beneficial is if I prayed first thing when I wake up 10 to 15 minutes and then right before I go to bed so that Jesus is the first thing in the morning and the last thing I'm thinking about talking with before I go to bed. Then I read your snippet of your show. Jesus wants to be the first person you think about when you wake up and the last person you think about when you go to bed. Like, what? Amen. Super affirming and was super happy to read. Thank you for this beautiful podcast that helps keep me formed and informed. God bless you, Matthew. Well, praise God, Matthew. That's it, man. 
I really believe what Mother Teresa said to her sisters, that a lot of our ministers out there in the church today don't know Jesus because they don't spend enough time with Jesus. If we're not praying, how do we expect to be um, conduits of grace for other people to experience the love of God? Um, right, we've got to fall in love with Jesus, which means we need to spend time with Him. Uh, which means, if especially if we're in ministry, um, if you are prioritizing work over prayer, your work will not bear supernatural fruit, and you will become miserable, and you will make everyone around you miserable. So pray so that we're not miserable. <laughs> All right, on to today's questions. First question is coming in from Maria. Nice. Love that name. Oh, Maria, Maria. You remind me of a West Side story. Growing up in Spanish Harlem. Or, um, how many, how many something, Maria. Remember the sound of music? Yeah. Yeah, that's like a classic. So Carl Santana or the, or the Sound of Music. But anyway, Maria writes this. Mary's perpetual virginity. Hi, Father Josh. As a Catholic, I believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. Praise God. Uh, but there are some things I don't fully understand. I get the necessity of her virginity prior to the birth of Christ, but why didn't she and St. Joseph consummate their marriage? Is it that having sex would somehow be a negation to Mary's immaculate conception and sinless nature? Why would having sex with St. Joseph be sinful if they were married? Thanks. Love your podcast, Maria. Maria, this is a phenomenal question. Phenomenal question. And so I'm, (coughs) excuse me. Whoa. So remember last week I was sick. I'm getting better now, but still got a little cough. I got a shot in my tush and some pills. So that's helped me out a lot. But Maria, um, onto your question. I'm going to answer it in two parts. One through the lens of theology of the body and one through the lens of sacred scripture. Um, So the easiest way is first theology of the body. Basically, um, in heaven, we are um, all celibate, right? In heaven, we're celibate. And that's why religious sisters or brides of Christ right, are celibate as well, priests and religious brothers as well, because we are living an eschatological witness to heaven, to our being married to God in heaven, right? And so Mary was already living heaven on earth. And marriage, the sacrament of marriage, and specifically sex within sacrament of marriage is meant to point us to heaven, to our spousal relationship with God in heaven, to that time in the future where we're going to be totally espoused to God um, in heaven. If you're already living heaven on earth, because remember, not only is she the daughter of the father, the mother of the son, but she was the spouse of the spirit. She's already living her heaven on earth. Why would she then go and have sex with St. Joseph, which would point her to heaven when she's already living heaven? Does that make sense? Okay, that was a little T.O.B. But now let's go deep into the word of God, which is my absolute favorite. So, A lot of this has to do with our understanding of words in sacred scripture and also with the translation of sacred scripture that we have. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So what does that mean? Betrothal period for Jews meant that that they were legally married, but they're not yet living together, right? So a betrothal period could last up to a year. And basically in that year, uh, they're not just engaged, they're legally married, but they're not living together yet. So what would happen is the, the Jewish husband would be working on the house, getting stuff ready. And then at the end of the betrothal period, which was a legal marriage, then he would take her in the home and they would move in together and consummate their marriage. However, notice in the sacred scripture what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. He says, you will conceive and bear a son, right? You will conceive and bear a son. And Mary says, how can this be? 
right? He did not say, Mary, you're already pregnant. So for a Jewish woman who is betrothed to a man, legally married, if she, in, if, if she intended to have sex, if an angel came to her and said, hey, guess what? You will bear a son one day. She wouldn't be like, how can this be? Like, she would probably assume, yeah, I figured that as much, right? I'm betrothed now, though we're not living together, we haven't consummated the marriage. Once we consummate the marriage, I'm definitely going to conceive a child, I pray to God. Yeah, right? But Mary said, how can it be? Why would she react in that way? Like, she's questioning, like, wait a minute, which makes us ponder, there must be something more to the scripture, Right? There has to be something more. There's a Protestant scholar, um, Rudolf Bultmann, who acknowledges that her, her question to the angel, it seems absurd for a bride to say. So Mary says, how can this be since I don't know a man? I don't know man. So um, in the Bible, right, the, the word to know is like, like sex, right? So Adam knew Eve. It's a, it's a love of intimacy beyond just like books, book knowledge, right? So we have to make sure that our translations are correct. Because some translations of the Bible aren't good. That's why it's really important to get a good translation. Because some translations of the Bible say, how can this be since I don't have a husband? That's a lie. She had a husband. His name was Joseph. If he wasn't her husband, then why would he divorce her quietly? You don't divorce your your engaged partner. You divorce someone who you're legally married to. Legally, she had a husband, and his name was Joseph. So make sure that your, your, um, your scripture is a good translation. Because if it's not, it could not only mess up your prayer, but it can mess up your, like, orthodoxy, right? And your, and your understanding of, of, of what God is wanting to communicate to us. So, so Mary's response is, is like, yeah, like, I guess th- this is essentially, if I broke it down uh, into like, modern-day language, this is what it would sound like. Gabriel, hey, how, can this, how can this be since I don't have sex, right? Go back to what she said. How can this be since I don't know man, no is sex. She's saying, I don't have sex, right? That's, that's, that's not part of my, my walk toward eternity. And Gabriel responds in the affirmative, correct. Like, Mary, this is going to be a virginal conception, right? So there's a precedency in Jewish marriages um, in the Old Testament for women to take vows of virginity. Um, in the book of Numbers, chapter 30, an entire chapter is dedicated to Jewish women who took vows of abstinence. And these vows were taken by unmarried women, by married women, by widows, and by divorced women. And so there's already a precedency for like um, virginal marriages, for for marriages where, and this is not Christian marriage, right? So if it was like a Catholic marriage, like in order for it to be a legit marriage, you must consummate the marriage, right? Otherwise you can go get your annulment. But this is, again, this is, we're talking about old school Judaism here, right? Um, so the Bible then goes on to talk about Joseph, how he did not know Mary until she gave birth to Christ. And so a lot of times when people read this, they said, oh, wait a minute. Well, until means that, well, then he must have knew her after, but not necessarily, right? The word until does not mean that something had to follow. My nephew Kyrie cannot drive my car until he's 16 years old. Now, does that mean once he turns 16, I'm going to let him drive my car? No, I'm just stating the fact. He cannot do this until then. Um, in the Old Testament, it says that Michael did not have any uh, children. She did not give birth to any children until the day she died. Does that mean once she died, she's already giving birth to kids? No. Jesus says, I'll be with you always until the end of the age. Does that mean that whenever the age is over, Jesus Christ is going to abandon us and, and jump ship? No. 
until it does not mean that something followed. And finally, we hear about the brothers of Jesus in the scripture. But again, we have to go back to translation. The word Adelphos can be translated into brothers, half-brothers, step-brothers, or cousins. It means kinsmen. And so it does not necessarily mean like full-blooded brothers of Jesus Christ. Right? It just means kinsmen, cousins, you know, whatever. Um, so that hopefully will give you some stuff to pray with and to chew on as you continue to go deeper into Our Lady's perpetual virginity. Next question. Uh, the fruit of Mary is Jesus. And the, the first thing Mary did when she gave birth to Jesus in that cave was she adored him. So the next question is about adoration. This comes in from David. David says this, thank you for your no-nonsense podcast. I will often listen to them on my way to work, which isn't as good as starting my day with morning mass, but I'll take what I can get. I enjoy your glory stories, and I appreciate that you keep it real. Keep it, keeping it real, yeah, keeping it real, keeping it real, hey, hey. All right, so keeping it real. Uh, I have a question about adoration. I'd appreciate if you could address on your podcast in the future. When I go to adoration, I feel like I'm either missing something or not doing something right. Not from the aspect of not being present or Jesus not being there, but from the aspect of what should I do while there? Could you walk through what you do when you are a layperson should do when you go to adoration? My question is more about the what to do versus what I'm supposed to get out of it. For example, typically I go and bless myself with holy water, kneel in front of the blessed sacrament, say a silent prayer, get up, go to a pew, pray the rosary, read a scripture, read a book from a Catholic author, Alexia Divina, and when my hour is done, I will again kneel, say a silent prayer before the blessed sacrament, and exit. All right. Good job, David. That's beautiful. So, I mean, first of all, adoration is adoring the Lord. You know, so um, I think we are all being invited. God is drawing all of us to a deep intimacy with him in a different way. So for every single saint, it's going to look a little bit different. Like one of my best friends, he literally goes in the adoration chapel and he sits there for an hour. And he can sit there with an hour, no book or no Bible, no like nothing. He just, he just looks at the Lord in the Eucharist. The Lord looks at him, and an hour later, he gets up and leaves, right? And and um, I asked him, how was your prayer? He says, fine. And I said, do you have any insights? He said, no. Um, he just sits there, right? Nothing's going on except he's in the presence of God. He's adoring God and looking at God, and he's super virtuous. So I know that there are supernatural fruits that are coming from his prayer, that, that God is definitely calling him to pray in this particular way, in this season of his life, because we see it in his virtue, his patience, his kindness, his meekness, his gentleness, his docility to the spirit, his obedience to Holy Mother Church, right? We see it in the virtue. Whereas other people go in the Adoration Chapel and they adore the Lord for an hour. And I know there's a, I, um, I was at a conference with Dr. Mary Healy a few years ago, and, and she was saying for her prayers, she would literally like speak in tongues for an hour, right? Um, and then and she recognizes that she's growing in virtue when she does that or whatever. So every one of us is going to be a little bit different. Some people, um, in order to get the distractions out of their head when they enter into adoration, um, listen to a praise and worship song or two um, in order just to, to reorient their attention to Jesus. And then after that, once your attention is on Jesus, I like to encourage people to pray with the catechism and specifically the quote from the catechism. And that reminds us that, that God is the one who called us there. Um, it's this beautiful quote that says this, God calls man first. Man may forget his creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse the deity of having abandoned him. If the living and true God tirelessly calls each person to that mysterious encounter known as prayer. In prayer, the faithful God's initiative of love always comes first. Our 
own first step is a response. So we were like, man, God, you wanted me to be here. You called me to be here and just to reflect on that. And then after that, to just spend some time looking at the Lord, adoring him, right? We want to make sure we make a distinction between praying before the Blessed Sacrament and adoring the Blessed Sacrament. If we're going to go to the Adoration Chapel, I always encourage at least allow some of that time to be adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, adoration of Jesus, where we're totally fixed on his face, looking at him, loving him, worshiping him, glorifying him, adoring him. And then we can begin to pray before the Blessed Sacrament um, as the Spirit leads. And so I typically would pray a decade of the Rosary, and I would do Lexio Divina with that decade. So I read what does that particular scripture passage say, meditate, what does it say to me, have a conversation to God, what it says to me. And then um, after that, I before I get to contemplation, after that, I will do the Paul of Six Rosary that we've done on the show a few times. And while I'm doing that, I'm, I'm open to the Lord leading me in a new direction, like during the time of prayer, of, uh, as going deeper into Christ. And so like one time, I was like doing Lexio Divina Rosary with the, um, the birth of Jesus. And as I was like praying my, my scripture and my Lexio through my rosary, I all of a sudden, like this song from Lauren Hill came to my mind. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You be like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. And I began to think about like, man, this, this is what Mary must have said to Jesus. Like, you're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. And here I was looking at Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, and then anyways, and so like allow the spirit to like lead you wherever he takes you. Um, and then after that contemplation, I, I, I spend a lot of time then just looking at Jesus in the Eucharist as he looks at me. Um, and then I'll, I'll wrap my adoration time up by thanking the Lord for that time together with him and, um, and maybe having some kind of concrete action that I have planned if he inspires me to do so. If not, I won't do that. And then if I have extra time, I'll, I'll journal my experience down too, um, just so I can constantly go back to the graces. So I don't know. I hope that was helpful. But just, I mean, everybody's different. We did a class on prayer a few weeks ago at my parish, and it was so beautiful because everybody was just in there sharing, and we're all so different. And by sharing, other people were able to feel like, recognize that they're not alone. Like, because some people, when they read Scripture, nothing speaks to them. Like, nothing stands out. But they still read Scripture, though. And even if it doesn't make sense to us, you read Scripture, and by the fact that you lean into Scripture, God will act in your soul, whether you get to see it or not. I think the same applies for Eucharistic adoration. We just go. We just show up. And whether we feel anything or not, like you said, um, you're going to be transformed. Anyways, let me know, David, if you have any other questions or follow-up, or if y'all have any advice for David in adoration, let me know. Um, What do y'all think? Uh, Write me at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com and let me know. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our final two questions. One's about single moms, and one's about children questioning their faith. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now, for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, 2nd Catholic Edition, 
an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If you are feeling fancy, record a voice note and send it to me as well. Also, do not forget to rate and review us on iTunes so other people can find out about the gifts of the show. Next question comes in from Kelly. Kelly writes, remember Kelly? Kelly, do you remember Kelly from um, Kelly Kapowski from uh, Saved by the Bell? I had a big crush on Kelly when I was a kid. Um, children question their faith. Now, do you remember Jesse though? Jesse stole the show. Uh, she was like, I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. I know, I know, I know. And Lisa Turtle, yeah, she was super cute. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that show was awesome. Actually, I don't know. I mean, the whole show is about rebellion, being rebellious against authority. Maybe it wasn't a great show. I don't know. Uh, hey, Father Josh, first and foremost, importantly, I have to tell you what an extraordinary blessing you are in my life. I wish so much that I had a Father Josh when I was growing through my critical spiritual development years. I'm a cradle Catholic, but did not come to fully see the truth, beauty, and goodness of our faith until about eight years ago. And it's the very best thing to have ever happened in my life. You have helped me to continue on the right path to Jesus, so thank you. My question for you branches from that. My daughter is 14 and is an amazing human being. But although she's a great kid, I can see that she's questioning her faith, which isn't necessarily bad. I know we all come to our faith in our own way, but I also know at her age, it's still my job to guide her toward being a saint. So how do I do that without coming on too strong and pushing her away instead of toward Christ? Any assistance or words of wisdom would be greatly appreciated. I pray for you daily in my intentional rosary and will continue to do so. God bless you for all you do. Much love, Kelly. First, Kelly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for praying for me. I always need prayers. Gosh, I really do. Oh, man, if I'm ever going to be a saint, it's going to be because of you. So thank you. So in my prayer for you and your question, um, what came up to me was the Siena Institute. Um, uh, there's a woman named Cher Wydell. She wrote a book called Forming Intentional Disciples of Jesus and Becoming a Parish of the Intentional Disciples and a bunch of just really good stuff on discipleship. But she also works with the Siena Institute, and they have this program called Called and Gifted. And Called and Gifted helps us to understand what our particular gifts we receive at baptism are. Right? We are all individually members of the body of Christ, but I might have received the gift of evangelization and not the gift of hospitality. And so unless I'm in a relationship with a person who has the gift of hospitality, then my gift of evangelization might not be utilized because I need that person to draw people to the table. And just because I have the gift of evangelization does not mean I have the gift of catechesis and teaching. And so I might need someone else who can teach well and who can catechize people theologically. And just because I have the gift of teaching does not mean I have um, you know, the gift of administration. And so if I don't have anybody to order my schedule, to order my day, um, to order our, our meetings, our gatherings, then those gatherings at the person who has the gift of hospitality with the person who has the gift of evangelization, it, it just won't happen. What I'm saying is basically in my prayer for you, what came up was I think that it might be a good idea if you and some people in your community, your church community, your neighborhood did the call and get the workshop together. That way you, together you can all discern what gifts God has given you and you can be in your daughter's life in these formative years in that capacity, right? So someone who has a charismatic hospitality 
can be in her life to always make her feel like she's at home. And the other person, we can make sure we prioritize time with them who has the charism of evangelization. And then if we know the person who has the charism of intercessory prayer, we can constantly like lean into them to pray for you, you and your family and the way that you mother your child. And it's just leaning into the body of Christ, right? Even people that we might not necessarily like a lot and personality-wise might not be our cup of tea, um, we, we can't say we don't need them. Like we all need each other in our walk toward eternity and in our walk toward guiding our children toward eternity as well. So I would honestly, in my prayer, I just felt called to encourage you to lean into the body of Christ and to discern your charisms and to cooperate and collaborate with the charisms of other people in your community. So hopefully that was helpful for you. Let me know, though. Hit me up at AskFatherJosh at EssentialPress.com. All right, final question comes in from Jess, and it's about single moms. Almost M-A-M-A-M-A-M-A. This goes out to all the single mamas. Can I still practice Catholicism as a single mom who's never been married? I have a very strong relationship with my faith, but I'm struggling with the thought of raising a child alone in the faith. Jess, yes, 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 you can. Yes, you can. I know so many single moms and single dads out there who are way holier than uh, many other people I know who are married. And so, um, yes, you can be a saint. You're called to be a saint. And there are people who are saints in the church's history who are also single moms like Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day, she's a woman who also had an abortion. And she um, went to confession and received the sacrament of reconciliation. But she also had a, a daughter and raised her daughter as a single mom. And so, um, yeah, you can definitely you can definitely be a saint. Like there's nothing that will stop you from being holy um, if you lean into Jesus and you can be a great witness. And so, yeah, be a holy single mom, Jess, um, and and let the Lord give you the grace and you, with your baby or babies um, to to be a family of saints, you know? Um, so definitely you could be a saint. Um, I encourage you to get plugged into your community, though, because it takes it, no person is an island. And I think it takes a community to raise a family. And so like lean into your pastor and lean into your youth minister and lean into the DREs and other people in the parish, um, Catholic Daughters, Knights of Columbus, um, Latest Auxiliary, the different groups, the Altar Society. There's different people to help walk with you in this season of your life so that your child or children are surrounded by other people who can accompany them. And accompany you um, to the sacraments daily or weekly uh, and, and hold you accountable to that personal relationship with Jesus in your prayer so that you can discern daily how he's calling you to, to be a radical disciple. So, yes, just uh, you you can be a saint and um, I will pray for you to be a canonized saint, my sister, uh, so you could give witness to other women and men who are single parents. Okay, that wraps up today's show. A few points from today's episode. First things first, get a good Bible. Translations are everything. So don't just uh, settle for any translation because if the translation is a little bit off, then it could totally just mess up your your understanding of, of the teachings of Christ. And also, there's a good book that addresses Mary's perpetual virginity by my good friend and scholar, biblical scholar, Dr. Brant Petrie, The Jewish Roots of Mary. Um, so check that book out, that resource. Um, when it comes to understanding our gifts and our charisms, I uh, highly encourage you to, to, to lean into the called and gifted 
um, workshop by the CNN Institute. Cheryl Waddell is a part of it. It's really solid, and it could help people find clarity in what ministries they're called to do as well. Because once you know what your gifts are, it's easier to do a ministry that follows from that gift. When it comes to adoration, every saint prays different. So just try out different methods during that time and see what works for you. And again, even in seasons, it's going to change. There might be seasons where you're able to go in there and just look at the Eucharist for an hour straight and not say anything. Just look at them. Other seasons, the rosary is going to be a great help to you. The goal is to make sure you spend time adoring the Lord when you're praying before the Blessed Sacrament. And um, finally, when it comes to... What was my last other question? Uh, oh, yeah. My bad. The possibilities for holiness of single moms. Yes. Yes, you can. In the name of Jesus, yes, you can. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, y'all, go in peace, and I will see you next week. God bless.